Viewer discretion advised. Content not suitable for children. Hey everybody, welcome to the Screaming Chewy Show. Yeah! Hey everyone, Chewy here, and you're listening to the Screaming Chewy Show. On today's episode, I'll be discussing reincarnation. Yeah, topic that's been talked about many, many times. But hey, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, I'll be discussing some facts and some very interesting coincidences. Yeah, hey, who knows? Maybe this is the episode that turns you into a believer. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, still some pretty crazy shit. And uh, I'll see you right after this commercial. The rebirth of a soul into a new body, whether it's human or animal reincarnation so hey before i get to the to the stuff here all right i got some questions of my own here okay i'm wondering well let's back it up i'm a man of science here okay and maybe i'm overthinking this shit all right i'm just probably putting way too much thought into it but this is a question i've always had about reincarnation all right i mean I mean, I kind of believe it, you know, I'm not exactly sold on it, but you know, there's some pretty convincing shit on it. Um, some pretty undeniable coincidences, but here's my question. All right. Okay. So here a healthy adult male can release about between 40 million and 1.2 billion sperm cells in one single ejaculation. Okay. Now. It only takes one of those little spermy guys to make it to that egg, hit that finish line, bam, becomes a baby, right? Of course, you know, there's instances where, you know, there's twins, triplets, you know, and so on. But normally it's just one, okay? So reincarnation, right? You're in um, the other side, um, you know, with your maker, and he's like, hey, you know what? You're cool. Um, you're a good person, so I'm gonna give you another shot at life. All right? Boom! Shoots you down to somebody's ball sack. You turn into a little spermy, right? So, are you in competition with the other spermies? And you gotta like, hopefully, make it to the egg, and that's your chance of reincarnation, or? Does he automatically just shoot you into that egg and boom, you're, you're guaranteed to be born and reborn or whatever, right? Reincarnated. That's that's my question, right? Now, here's the fucked up part, okay? What if he just gives you another shot, but it's not guaranteed, like I was saying, so you're a little spermy, but you still got to make that race, hit that finish line, Okay. Now, how fucked up is it that you get another chance at life, right? To be reincarnated. You're a little spermy and you're fucking racing and shit. You're like, I want to I wanna be alive again, you know? Because life is great like that. And um, 
then uh, you just end up in somebody's asshole or something, right? <laughs> uh, it's fucked up. I know. I know. I know what you're thinking, Chew. You're sick. It's fucked up. But this is real. This is a real question. This is things that happen, you know? What if instead of the vagina, you went into somebody's mouth and they just spit you out? You just end up in the fucking toilet. That's it. That's your chance at life right there, you know, just going around in that bowl. That's it. Anywho, that was my question. I'm sure it's never going to be answered, but that's just what I was wondering, okay? Okay, so moving on. Here's nine little reincarnation stories that uh, might make you wonder, okay? And this is brought to you by WallStreetInsanity.com. So, here's a, here's one. An anonymous reader of the Epoch Times shared a story in which her three-year-old son told her that he liked his new daddy, even though the reader's husband was his biological father. Confused, the mother asked him why. He replied, my old daddy was really mean. He stabbed me in the back and I died. But I really like my new daddy. He'd never do that to me. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. Kids say some weird shit, man. Maybe he saw that in a movie or some shit. Anywho, moving on. 18-month-old Gus Taylor's grandfather, Augie, had died a year before Gus was born. However, according to Listverse, the year-and-a-half-old Gus claimed that he wasn't his own grandfather. When he was four, he was able to identify Augie in family photographs, even though he had never seen the man in real life. Hmm. That might not, not sound like much, but it gets weirder. Years before, Augie's sister was murdered and her body was dumped in San Francisco Bay. No one in the family had ever spoken of this to Gus, and coincidentally, everyone was shocked when Gus started talking about his dead sister. Oh, shit. Alright, now this one, the third one. This one, um, this is a pretty popular one. I think it's been on television before. Maybe some uh, documentaries and stuff. Okay, so this eight-year-old James Leininger... My bad, I'm so horrible pronouncing fucking names. Of Louisiana, began talking about aviation at two years old. His parents reportedly reportedly knew nothing about the subject and were amazed when their little boy started displaying such an extensive knowledge of planes. Their amazement turned to alarm when James started having nightmares about being shot down by a plane with a red sun on it. A Japanese plane. He talked about having dreams and memories of being Lieutenant James McCready Houston, a World War II fighter pilot from Pennsylvania who had been killed in Iowa Jima more than 50 years earlier. Andrea, his mother, said that James would scream at the top of his voice, airplane crash on fire, can't get out, help as he kicked and pointed to the ceiling. <laughs> That's fucked up. Later, James told his parents that he had flown a plane called the Corsair, or Corsair from a boat called the Natoma. When James' father decided to do some research, he discovered 
he discovered that there had been a small escort carrier called the Natoma Bay, which had been in battle of Iwo Jima, and that there really had been a pilot called James Houston. Oh shit. His plane was hit in the engine by a Japanese fire on March 3rd, 1945. According to Jim Tucker, a psychologist at the University of Virginia, Houston's plane crashed exactly the way that young James Lanier, Laninger had described. Holy shit. How can you deny that, right? That'd be pretty fucking scary. I mean, if that didn't convince you, I don't know what will, right? So here's number four. After developing a phobia of gray, rainy days, four-year-old Edward Austrian started complaining about a severe pain in his throat. Whenever it hurt, he reportedly said that his that his shot was hurting. When questioned, he told his mother that he had been in trenches. Yeah, four-year-old in trenches. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, in what she assumed to be World War I, he told detailed stories about his life and about being shot in the throat and killed. Doctors couldn't find any reason for Ed, Edward's throat pain, so they took his tonsils out as a precaution. Eventually, eventually though, he developed a cyst that no one could figure out how to treat. After he was encouraged to share more stories about his past life, the cyst disappeared. The doctors never determined the reason why. Pretty crazy, huh? Guess that little guy just had to clear his throat, you know? Sometimes you just gotta do that. Okay, so a Reddit user had the following chilling story to share. Since as long as I can remember, I've had vivid dreams about being a serial killer from the 1940s or 50s. I lived in an old farmhouse in the middle of the woods secluded from everyone. I buried my victims, all women with medium length jet black hair, very pretty, on my property. There are at least 50 if not more. I've been dream dreaming about this guy since I can remember and details never change. Um, I don't have a name or location, but it bothers me enough that I tried searching and I don't think I was ever caught. Sometimes I have moments where I genuinely miss my old life. In this life, I wouldn't hurt a fly and have dedicated my life to helping people. Sometimes certain situations trigger feelings that are not really me and I'm not sure where they come from. It's always the same type of girl, always the same thoughts on how to disable her in order to get, get her back into my place. I've come to terms with it and pass it off as an intrusive thought but I've never wanted to act on it in this life. Crazy. Here's another Reddit user. He has a story about a friend who may have had a past life as a soldier during the American Civil War. I knew a guy who thought all things paranormal were nonsense and laughed at the mere thought that there could be truth to anything outside that was accepted, quote unquote. He told me a story of his thought that really surprised me. He was in his late 50s and his entire life, for as long as he could remember, he had a dream. He was standing in a field. It was always the ex exact same layout, rolling hills. He could see the tree line, 
from his vantage point. The only real landmarks were lone tree and a wooden fence. Every time during the dream, he felt as if he was a young boy and he could feel there was a large group of me with him, seemingly behind him. He never told a soul, not his wife, nor his kids. One day, he took his family to Gettysburg while on vacation. The exact vantage point was on the Union High waterline. During the battle, it definitely disturbed him, but he still refuses to consider it as being paranormal. Damn, some people just don't want to see the truth, man. Maybe it hurts them, you know? Maybe. <laughs> All right, this is... <laughs> I don't know why this one made me laugh, right? Another reader of the Epoch Times or Epoch, whatever, something like that, shared the following story with the paper. My older sister was born the year my dad's mom died. According to my dad, as soon as my sister was old enough to say the words, she said, I am your mother. I am your mother. Darth Mother. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That was a bad Star Wars joke. <laughs> and a really bad Darth Vader impersonation, right? But hey, I tried, okay? It's the effort that counts. So, continuing. A three-year-old boy in Gallen Heights caused quite a stir when he claimed he was murdered in a past life. Oh, I think I heard of this one. I think this also was in a documentary show. This one's pretty popular too. Anywho, the boy, a member of the Druze ethnic group, which believes in reincarnation, had a long red birthmark on his head. According to some Druze beliefs, birthmarks indicate where death wounds occurred during a past life. That makes sense. Where the boy learned how to talk, he started when the boys <laughs> learned how to talk, my bad, he started telling elders that he had been killed by an axe blow in a prior life. Damn. The boy was led through several villages to see if any of them were familiar to him. Once he found a familiar village, he claimed that he knew exactly who had killed him. Suddenly, the boy walked up to a man and said, Aren't you Eli? forgot the name you know um, the man answered yes then the boy said I used to be your neighbor we had a fight and you killed me with an axe Eli told me how the man had suddenly gone white as a sheep the three year old boy then said I even know where you buried my body damn afterward the boy led his elders to a pile of stones under which they found a body with an axe wound in its head. He also led them to the spot where the axe was buried, reportedly forcing his killer to confess the crime. Holy shit. That's pretty fucking crazy. I mean, how could you deny that? I mean, fuck, man. What more do you need? Anywho, here's the last one. So, also known as the boy who lived before... Cameron McCauley of Glasgow, Scotland, started telling his mother at age of two that he wasn't from Glasgow at all, but rather from a small inland called Barra 
off the west coast of Scotland in the outer Hebrides. Hebrides. Cameron described in intimate details of his life there, including his black and white dog, the beach he used to walk on, his mother, the house they lived, and he and his seven siblings. He even named his former parents, claiming that his father's name was Shane Robertson and that he had died in a car crash. Determined to get to the bottom of all this, Cameron's parents took him to Barra. Although no one there remembered anyone by the, by the name of Shane, the Macaulays found the house Cameron had described, a house owned by the Robertsons. The black and white dog was in one of the family photos, and the car that Cameron re- remembered was there too. Damn. Crazy fucking coincidence, coincidences, right? I mean, yeah. And hey, here's a little fun fact. Reincarnation in India is understood as a process of learning lessons provided by Mother Earth. If your actions are negative, you will reincarnate in lower bodies such as animals or insects and probably live a miserable life. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. Reincarnate as a fucking roach. Somebody freaks out, kills you with a chancla. Or, you know, as a mosquito, you end up in somebody's windshield. (laughs) I mean, if they're going to do that, why even bother reincarnating you? You know what I mean? Like, just send you to hell and just fucking send them to hell and just have them suffer that way. Why even waste them, the body or life, you know what I mean? To punish them. That's just my... But hey... Animals and insects, right? In India. What if you get reincarnated as a fucking cow? Then they worship your ass, right? Joke's on you, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. But that would be cool, right? Eh, wait, never mind. Being a cow, just eat grass and fart all the time. People milking you. That might be fun. I don't know. <laughs> Do cows enjoy being milked? Hey, that's another question, right? That's a good one. Anywho, I think I'm going off topic here. So, speaking about India, here's uh, the remarkable case of a five-year-old boy who recalled detailed events from an Indian man's life as documented by Ian Stevenson. This is brought to you by Belief. No way. My bad. Beliefnet.com. All right. So, so... Parmad Sharma was born on October 11, 1944, in Bizwali, India. When Parmad was about two and a half, he began telling stories. Began telling you know, stories, you know, about him having a that he had a wife in Moradabad who could cook. So he told his mom not to cook for him anymore. <laughs> Moradabad was a town about 90 miles northeast of Bizwali. Oh, fuck. My laptop's there. Hold on. Okay, where was I? All right. So, Moradabad was a town about 90 miles northeast of Bizwali. Again, I apologize if I mispronounce it. I'm fucking horrible at this. All right, all right. My bad. So, between the ages of three and four, 
He began to speak in detail of his life there. He described several businesses he had owned and operated with other members of his family. He particularly spoke of a shop that manufactured and sold biscuits, cookies, and soda, water, calling it Mohan Brothers. And he insisted that he was one of the Mohan Brothers and that he also had a business in Saharampur. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> a town about 100 miles north of Moradabad. Parmar ten tended not to play with the other children in Biswali, but preferred to play by himself, building models of shops complete with electrical wiring. He especially liked to make mud biscuits, which he served his family with tea or soda or water. During this time, he provides many details about his shop, including its size and location in Moradabad, what was sold there and his activities connected to it, such as his business trips to Delhi or Del Delhi. He even complained to his parents about the less preposterous financial condition of their home compared to what he was used to as a successful merchant. Spoiled as little motherfucker. Parmar had a strong distance distaste for curd, which is quite unusual for an Indian child. And on one occasion, even advised his father against eating it, saying that it was dangerous. Pyramid said that in his other life, he had become seriously ill after eating too much curd one day. Oh shit. Could that be um cause of death? We'll see. Also, if you hear dogs barking in the background, I apologize. Well, my bitch just had puppies and they're like fucking barking all the fucking time, dude. Four fucking pup. Oh my god. Yeah. So anywho, back to the story. He had he had an equally strong dislike for being submerged in water, which might relate to his report that he had previously died in a bathtub. Parmod said that he had been married and had five children, four sons and one daughter. He was anxious to see his family again and frequently begged his back to Moradad to visit them. His family always refused his request, though his mother did get him to begin school by promising to take him to Moradabad when he had learned to read. Paramud's parents never investigated or tried to verify their son's claims, perhaps because of the Indian folk custom that their children who remembered a previous life were fated to die early. That's fucked up. News of Paramount's statements, however, eventually reached the ears of family in Moradabad, named Mera, which fit many of the details of his story. The brothers of his family owned several businesses in Moradabad, including a biscuit, soda, and water shop named, guess what, drumroll, Mohan Brothers. Yeah. The shop had been started and managed by Paramand Mera until his untimely death on May 9th, 1943, 18 months before Paramand was born.
Paramanand had gorged himself on curd, one of his favorite foods at a wedding feast, and had subsequently developed a chronic gastrointestinal illness, followed later by appendicitis and peritonitis, from which he died. Two or three days before his death, he had insisted against his family's advice on eating more curd, saying that he might not have another chance to enjoy it. Live it up. Like like uh, one of a cage, that rapper, one of his songs. Eat your life up and death is dessert. I think that fits quite well in this situation. Anywho. Paramanand had blamed his illness and impeding death on overeating curd as a part of his therapy during his appendicitis. Paramanand had tried a series of naturopathic bath treatments while he had not in fact died in a bathtub he had been given a bath immediately prior to his death Paramanand left the widow and five children four sons and one daughter in the summer of 1949 Mehra family decided to make a trip to Bizwali to meet Parmar who was a little under five years old at the time when they arrived however Parmar was away with his family and no contact was made. Shortly thereafter, Parmad's father responded to an invitation from the Mero family and took him to Maradabad to explore his son's compelling remembrances firsthand. Among those he met <clears throat> Parmad at the railway station was Parmad's cousin. Sri Karam Chadmera. <laughs> Fuck, man. Why do they make it so difficult? <clears throat> Who had been quite close to the Paramanand. Parmar threw his arms around, around him, weeping, calling him an older brother and saying, I am Parmanand. It is common for Indians to call a cousin brother. FYI, if the relationship is a close one. As he was, <clears throat> Parmar then proceeded to find his way to the Mohan Brothers shop on his own, giving instructions to the driver of the carriage, which brought him, brought them to the station. Entering the shop, he complained that his quote-unquote special seat had been changed. It is customary in India for the owner of a business to have an enclosed seat, a gadi. G-A-D-D-I located near the front of the store where you can greet customers and direct business. The location of Parmanand's Gadi had in fact been changed sometime after his death. Once inside, Parman asked who was looking after the bakery and soda water factory. This had been Parmanand's responsibility. The complicated machine which manufactured soda water had been recently disabled in order to test Parmar. When, when shown it, however, Parmar knew exactly how it worked. Without any assistance, he located the disconnected hose and gave instructions in its repair. Damn, a fucking five-year-old telling you how to fix your shit. Damn. Later, at Parmanan's home, Parmar recognized their room where Parmar 
Parmanand had slept and comment, commented on a r- room screen that he currently correctly observed had not been there in Parmanand's day. He also identified a particular cupboard that Parmanand had kept his things in as well special low table which has also been his. This is the one I used to use for my meals, he said. Where Parmanand's mother entered the room, he immediately recognized her and addressed her as mother before anyone else present, present was able to say anything. He correctly identified Parmanand's wife, acting somewhat embarrassed in front of her. She was, after all, a full-grown woman, and he was only five, though apparently possessing at least some of the feelings as a adult husband. When they were able to be alone, he said to her, I have come, but you have not fixed Bindi, referring to the red dot worn on the forehead by Hindu wives. He also reproached reproached her for wearing a white sari, appropriate dress for a Hindu widow, instead of the colored sari worn by wives. Parmar correctly recognized Parmanan's daughter and the one son who was at the house when he had arrived. When Parmanan's youngest son, who had been at school, showed up later, Parmar correctly identified him as well, using his familiar name, Gordhan. In their conversation, Parmar would not allow the older Gordhan to address him by his first name, but insisted that he call him Father. <laughs> How fucking awkward, right? You have to call five-year-old your father? <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> That'd be pretty fucking awkward. You can't tell me what to do, Dad. You're two foot tall. I have only become small, he said, <laughs> during this visit. <laughs> Parmar also correctly identified one of Parmanan's brothers and nephew. Parmar showed a striking knowledge for the details of Parmanan's world. While touring the hotel, the Merha, Mera brothers owning Moradabad, the Victory Hotel, Parmar commented on the new sheds that had been built on the property. The Mera family confirmed that these had indeed been added after Parmanan's death. Entering the hotel, Parmar pointed out to some cupboards and said, these are the Almiraz I had constructed in Churchill House. Churchill House was the name of a second hotel the Mara brothers owned in Saharampur, a town about 100 miles north of Moradabad. Parna. <laughs> Fuck, man, I'm so horrible at fucking pronouncing these. Uh, Parmanand had, in fact, had these cupboards constructed for Churchill. Churchill house during his life. Shortly after Parmanan's death, however, the family decided to move these cupboards to the Victory Hotel on a visit to Saharampur. Later that fall, Parmar spontaneously identified a doctor known to Parmanan in that city. He is a doctor and an old friend of mine, he said. During the visit, he also recognized a man named Yasmin, who he insisted owned him. He owed him, Parmanan, he owed him money. 
I have to get some money back from you, he said. <laughs> Imagine fucking five-year-old goes up to you says hey bro you owe me money the fuck dude <laughs> what you want to buy some candy man <laughs> some pokemon cards what do kids buy in india anyway fucking steaks and rocks i don't know <laughs> i don't mean to be racist or anything you know what i mean like really what do kids play with over there I don't know, maybe some marbles, some canicas, some trompos. Hell yeah, that's the shit right there. Anywho, where was I? At first, Yasmin was reluctant to acknowledge the loan. He's like, you don't know me. I don't know you shit, motherfucker. I don't know you, kid. But after being reassured that the Mero family was not going to press for payment, he admitted that Parmat was quite right about the debt. Stevenson, well, wow, it's a kind of American name for India, reports that he has collected over third. Oh, wait, of course, he is American. I'm an idiot. Anywho, he has collected over 3,000 such cases, but has published only a small percentage of the cases investigated. He throws out most of the cases because they do not meet the highest criteria, criteria of credibility. For example, he dismisses any cases where the family of the second personality has profited in any way from contact with the family of the first personality, either financially or in a social prestige retention. Steven Sim himself never pays his sources. He also throws out cases where the two families are linked by a person who might have inadvertently transmitted information from one family to the other. Furthermore, some cases turn out to be explainable in terms of crypto dementia or hidden memories. In these cases, someone acquires through entirely natural means, such as overhearing a conversation or reading a novel and then forgets the circumstances in which they learned it. Later, Something triggers the information, which subjectively appears to come out of nowhere. Perhaps from a former life, we think. Yet, in hypnotic regression, the true source of the information is revealed. Case dismissed. Cases where testimony is inconsistent, where witnesses are uh, of questionable character or where there is even the slightest indication of possible fraud are also immediately dropped. Stevenson has published only the strongest cases, those involving no game, no evidence of ulterior motive, no previous connection between families, generous recall of details which can be confirmed by associates of the former personality, and ideally the opportunity to bring together the second personality with persons known by the first personality. His cautious skepticism and critical methods have earned him the attention of even quite conservative professional journalists. In 1977, the Distinguished Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease devoted almost an entire issue to this research. In additional justifying this attention, Dr. Eugene Brody wrote, 
Our decision to publish this material recognizes the scientific and personal credibility of authors, the legitimacy of their research methods and the conformity of their reasoning to the usual canons of rational thought. Two years earlier, in a review of their first volume of Case of the Reincarnation Type in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Lester S. King concluded that Stevenson had painstakingly and unemotionally collected a detailed series of cases in India, cases in which evidence of reincarnation is difficult to understand on any other grounds. He has placed a record large amount of data that cannot be ignored. Pretty crazy, right? The facts are there. Take it or leave it. Think what you want. But you know, you know, the memory, okay, reincarnation, right? These people remember things from their past life. Now, how can a brain, a fresh brain, remember something that another brain experienced, right? You could say that, you know, what if, what if the soul itself, the energy is the memories, right? The memories are not stored in that data bank you call your brain. What if they're just stored in your energy, your soul, right? Because data could be transferred from your phone to your computer via Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, HDMI, whatever the fuck, you know? data can be transferred so now if you ask me check this out all right bear with me i know it's a long episode bear with me here okay baby sea turtles right as soon as they hatch from the egg their first instinct is to fucking dig get the fuck out of there just dig 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 once they hit the open air their second instinct is to fucking flip, flop, crawl, run, whatever the fuck they do, just straight towards the water. They know right away, as soon as they come out, to go straight into that water. They don't wander off, get lost in the sand, go the opposite way. Nope. They go straight to the fucking ocean. How? How do they know that? Can you explain that? You know, their mother didn't stick around and say, all right, kids, follow me. No, it's just them. Instinct. What is instinct? How do animals, as soon as they're born, how do they know exactly what to do to survive without any external influence, any mother helping them, guiding them, anybody? They just know instinct. Fucking, yeah, crazy, right? Makes you think. Anywho, that was today's episode, Reincarnation. And hey, so if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening. And hey, no matter what platform you're listening on, don't forget to leave a rating. Please do me that. That'd mean a lot to me. That's a big solid right there. And you know what also would mean a lot to me? If you like creepy stuff, 
check out All Cats Are Gray in the Dark. Yeah, two hosts, two redheads, and they they make the show just as funny as they do creepy. Very good show, awesome content. Check it out. Later. everyone thanks for tuning in and if you'd like to support this podcast you can find me at anchor.fm slash screaming chewy gmail com there'll be three options for a monthly subscription first one i believe starts at a dollar a month yo yeah dollar a month yeah and if you don't want to that's cool you can follow me on facebook and youtube screaming chewy show for some memes some more videos for episodes and behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy, so I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.